Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's show, we have Adam. How you doing? Shane. Hi. And Justin. This week we'll be talking about some innovative and creative ways that you can explain science and some of the cool applications that people have come up with, along with the journey to science communication and joining the circus with QuestCon. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. This week's City of Science will be Brisbane, because all of us here are gathered together from across the state, from the various Young Scientists of Australia chapters, from Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide and Melbourne, to get together to talk about science and science engagement. Adam is with us as the president of YSA Sydney. Yes, I am. How are you doing? Shane is with us from YSA Brisbane. Yes, I sure am. And what's your role there? I'm the science coordinator. And we're all gathered here to have a bit of a chat about science, and we've been here over the weekend. And we're going to jump into a few interesting topics of science that we've come across from our various fields and have a bit of a discussion about ways to engage in science and some interesting science stories. So if you were listening very carefully, you would have recognised that sound as the sound of the blaster rifles from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, or as it was titled at the time, Star Wars. That sound was made for us by the very wonderful Shane, who's going to give us a bit of a rundown about exactly what happened there. So the sound there that you heard is actually a sound that you may have, may have produced before, but not actually been able to hear properly, because whenever you drop a slinky to the ground and it hits the ground, it actually produces this sound, the resonance through the slinky. But without the cup, which I attached to it, you can't actually hear the sound. So by attaching the slinky to the bottom of the cup, we can actually resonate that sound, make it louder. And as a result, we can hear it a lot better. And as Justin mentioned, they use that exact technique, that exact apparatus to produce the sound for the first Star Wars movie. So it's these type of ingenious ideas that use a little bit of science and a little bit of, um, little bit of brain power to produce these fantastic uh, and interesting sounds. Now there were some really, really cool ones. Um, what this is, the science of Foley, it's the science of producing sounds that sound like sounds. And it was really, really important for film sets and radio sets especially before they had digital technology. So what I had in my hand here was actually just a normal cup, a cardboard or a styrofoam cup, both work, with a slinky attached to the bottom to it, of it. So all I've done is poked the slinky through one side and out the other, and then by simply holding onto the cup and letting go of the slinky and allowing it to hit the ground, you can produce that really cool sound that you just heard. And that's really sounds amazing. And I guess if you put your ear to a slinky, you'd hear it even better but this gives you super hearing. And that's through the wonders of the amplification of the cup. It works exactly the same way as when you have your phone or your MP3 player and you put it inside a cup or a bowl to make the noise louder when you haven't got some speakers around. That is a really handy life hack that I did not know. So now let's dive into the science of folding. So what were you actually doing there with that cup? So uh, I was holding onto the bottom of the cup and then allowing the slinky to drop and hit the ground. 
So as it hits the ground, that sort of transfer of energy causes the, sprinky, uh, the slinky to resonate. And as it resonates, it produces a sound. But without the cup attached, you can't actually hear the sound. So by attaching the cup, we, cause, we uh, amplify that sound so that everyone can hear it. That's really similar to the way, I guess, instruments like a violin or a guitar work. In that case, you're plucking a string, not a slinky but you still amplify in the body of the instrument. Yeah, pretty much exactly the same effect. So like in, a, in, a, in a, an acoustic guitar, you, you know, you pluck the string and the metal vibrates, but the, you wouldn't hear anything if you didn't have the sounding board of the entire frame. And with an electric guitar, you pick up the sound through um, electronics instead. Well, I think it's interesting, it speaks to science, that there's so much out there that we don't know until we test it. Like somebody had to stick a, the end of a slinky through a McDonald's cup to figure out that, that awesome piece of uh, science and noise about that. And what else is there out there that we don't know, that we haven't stuck a slinky string through and plucked and <laughs> discovered yet? And it's a bit of a shame as well because these days with digital sound sort of producing machines and programs, that sort of spirit of adventure and that ingenuity that results in these new sounds being produced doesn't really occur anymore. Such a shame. That, that, that really talks about the area of Foley engineering and producing sounds in an analog way. Um, crunching leaves, coming up ways to make the sound of crunching leaves and basically Foley artists in old recording studios used to have massive rooms of just weird objects. Famously the, uh, the sound of the TARDIS, the whoosh, 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 is a car key being stroked along a steel wire and uh, when they, in, when they um, made the new show they um, made all the sounds, obviously are digital, but the first thing they did was get a key and a wire and re-record that sound. And obviously there's the classic two coconut halves banging together <laughs> to make the sound of horses. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting science, but the thing that fascinates me is how much faking there is. Because what our perception is versus the actual sound. So I know for a solid punch, they, they do things like, throw, uh, like a stick whizzing through the air, and then slapping a, a, a pig carcass. All these elaborate things to get what, what our perception of a punch really is. That's interesting for me. And that that's, that's really gets to the psychology of it, because if you think about artificial food and food advertisements use a similar thing. They have to really fake it and add extra stuff that's not in the food to get that picture that mm -hmm. makes it look like it's really appetising food. Well, as long as we're talking about perception, did you know that the uh, rainbow paddle pops are actually caramel flavour? I suspected, but it explains Mind. a lot. Wow. And you know blown. what? And I'm not, I don't really like caramel paddle pops, but I love rainbow. They're my favorite. It's unusual. It's isn't all it? in your head. I haven't actually <laughs> independently verified that, but I'm led to believe by quality sources that that is actually the case. That's... And I've, I've been lied to my whole life uh, about the paddle pops. Mind blown. I know. So where did you learn all this kind of fascinating tidbits of science and tricks about... Uh, demonstrations and perception? Uh, well, some of it I've learned by just being generally a keen science enthusiast, but most of it I learned uh, last year when I did a Master of Science Communication at the Australian National University. And as part of that, I was a member of the Shell Questacon Science Circus, which traveled around Australia in conjunction with Questacon, obviously. Um, and basically what we did was we performed really cool demonstrations through science shows in schools, through our public exhibitions where we take a little bit of Questacon out to the public 
and teacher professional development sessions, all that type of thing. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to go all around Australia just as a job. It was beyond belief. Sounds very cool. It was very cool. Okay, so the, the science circus sounds like a pretty cool job. How did you find out about that? How, do, how does one become a science performer? Uh, well, I've been a member of the Young Science of Australia, YSA, for a really long time. And I felt kind of lost for a little while, not really sure where I wanted to go. Uh, and one time I was watching Joel Gilmore, who's a member of the uh, University of Queensland physics demo troupe. Um, I was watching him do a show. Afterwards, I said to him, look, I love what you're doing. Can I do what you do? How do I do it? And he mentioned to me that there was this course called the Science Circus down in Canberra. So naturally I followed it up and a few years later when I completed my undergraduate degree and a little bit of research, uh, I went down and, and applied and thankfully got in. Fantastic. That seems like so. It's, a, it's something that anyone can do, really, as long as they're in university doing a science degree. They yeah. can so join the science circus. They've recently changed the uh, requirements to get in. You need a, a Bachelor of Science as well as an Honours as well, um, so it reaches that sort of Master's requirement. But anyone can really do it. You don't have to have a background in science communication at all. Uh, I, I did the course with a lot of people from very diverse backgrounds. How many people do the course? It's 16 per year, so 16 members each year make up the science circus. And in that 16, you get split up into uh, eight groups of pairs each day to go out to the schools or um, public areas wherever you're performing the shows. So eight people, 16 in a year, run away to the circus. Pretty much, yep. Yeah. How often do you get that joke? <laughs> uh, I, not many people say it really. It's normally me saying, oh. well, last year I ran away to the circus. So I stole your thunder there. You did, you did. Sorry about that. <laughs> Now, come to think of it, I think I remember in high school um, the Questcon Science Circus coming to my school in rural South Australia. Um, two people came in, uh, set up a, put, da put down a tarp, um, set up on the table, and um, got us out of science class for a day. Also, yeah. things start with a tarp, I must yeah. say. <laughs> uh, so the Science Circus aims to see every single part of Australia at least once every, I think it's six or eight years. Um, so in my year with the circus, we went to... Uh, the Hunter Valley and central coast of New South Wales. We saw um, most of South Australia, rural areas as well as Adelaide. Um, and in that tour, we also did a lot of indigenous um, special sort of outreach programs. Uh, we did the Kimberley region, so that northern area of Western Australia. And we also did all of far north Queensland, which was awesome because it was around springtime and the weather was fine, I can tell you that. So I, I'm interested, Shane, you've been all around Australia teaching people about science. Uh, 12 months, that's an intensive thing. Uh, what are the kinds of things you learn that you, you wouldn't have expected in a million years that you, you'd learn or you'd find out or experience with working with children? What are those once in a million things that you'd never have picked? Uh, it's a question I get all the time and I suppose every time I answer it I give a little bit of a different answer because there's so much about the year that surprised me. I went down there thinking it was going to be a chance for me to perform a few shows and probably spend most of my time behind some books, behind computer screens, you know, doing assignments and things. But I found that even though it's a master's, it was really like sort of a professional development course, a traineeship almost. And we spent so much of our time working closely with these absolute legends of science communication from Questacon, the ANU, um, and all that type of thing, getting mentored by them and developing programs, making our own shows. And I found that 
I already knew I already knew that I I was um, sort of bound to be a science communicator. It was something I've always liked, but I found that um, it's it's harder than you think. But with enthusiasm, you can really achieve it, no matter no matter who you are and no matter what your skill set is. Um, and yeah, it's just the, my favorite thing. I always say this to to people, but my favorite thing is that light bulb moment mm. when you're standing in front of a group of say sometimes 150 kids, yeah. and you tell them an explanation to a demonstration you've d just done, and you see that one kid whose eyes widen a little bit and their head tilts kind of the side and you can see that that light bulb has just gone off in their head. I must admit, my light bulb moment was in, in science. I'd sit, sitting at the tap, watching it drip and going, I wonder what happens when you cut a piece of water in half? Like, what happens if you cut in half and in half and in half again? Like, it must end, it must stop. What, what is this, is it, and I suppose in my little eight-year-old stupor, I was like, it must be infinite or something. Not that I knew that back then. <laughs> And then sitting in year seven, when the science class and the first bit of particle theory was explained that everything around us is made up of particles, my, that was my kind of light bulb moment. And from it's, then, I was hooked. It's really funny you should mention that actually, because uh, I mean, that might seem like a really abstract and unusual mm. question to most people. But when you're touring all around Australia and you're seeing you know, hundreds of kids every day, you get heaps of those questions. Yeah. And every time a kid comes up and they, they ask you a question like that, it takes a moment and you kind of stand there and you go, uh, uh, yeah. before you sort of, you know, find a way to tie it in with basic science because kids see things in such sort of um, seemingly abstract ways sometimes and it's fantastic. Challenge your perception. Fascinatingly enough, that was, um, it was that sort of abstract thinking that led to the development of modern science mm. in the first place. In fact, um, the atom, the name comes from the Greek word atomos, which means the smallest bit. Um, and that was the, the, the idea behind Atom was people sitting around going, well, what if you cut something in half and cut it in half again and cut it in half again? That was where the, the idea of the Atom came from. Well, it was originally very t closely tied to philosophy, which is so interesting. Uh, and that, that really gets to an interesting part that thinking about science is an important part of science mm -hmm. itself and being able to explain what you're thinking so, and the idea that you have is the definition of science. So science communication isn't just an offshoot of science, it actually is at the root essence what science is about. One last question for you, Shane. Yep. What do you see yourself doing now? You finished your masters, you, uh, I think. Yep, yeah, I have. And you've, you've come back from the circus, you've escaped its um, seductive grasp. What now? Uh, well, the circus, uh, the circus taught me about a lot of different areas within science communication because it is quite a broad field and while I liked a lot of them I still in my heart love those demonstrations those live shows in schools going up and experiencing the kids firsthand so for the meantime while I'm uh, just sort of working in a few part-time jobs I'm um, keeping up my science demonstration sort of experience by being the science coordinator for the uh, Brisbane chapter of YSA and also working part-time with an outreach organization out of Griffith University on the Gold Coast. Mm. So with them I perform uh, shows every week for kids from all parts of Queensland coming and doing their, uh, doing their sort of uh, camps for school. So that's, I see myself following those types of things in the future. I lied just before when I said I'd ask you a last question. Where, what is the dream 
for you, the dream job, the dream thing, the dream project you'd love to work on as a science communicator? Ah, that's, that's a really hard question because my dream is just science communication in general. But I think ideally what I want my life to become is I want to be like Professor Julius Sumner Miller. I want in 30, 40 years time for people to be able to say when they think about science, you know, oh, I remember Shane McMaster doing that. Um, and it's just, you know, why is it so is his catchphrase. And I, I've toyed around with my own catchphrases, but none quite as sort of poignant as that and um, sort of none that have any type of longevity like that. So I guess sort of to answer your question, in 30 years time, I wanna be remembered and I want people to be able to say, Shane McMaster inspired me to do science. That is a really quite noble aim. Many nobles Australians have done and gone down the path of before. So thanks for sharing your experiences with Science Communication and Questacon. It's a pleasure. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We talked about demonstrating scientific techniques in interesting ways, the way science of Foley works, and how you can escape to the circus and become a science communicator. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.